Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Friday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Kingston here with Jim Cramer. David Faber has the morning off. Futures are pretty solid as we're coming off the worst declines of the month so far. COVID cases in focus, earnings and Arizona. Our roadmap begins with Disney and Cisco earnings, though, both rallying. Cisco's Chuck Robbins is going to join us this hour. Plus the COVID surge, new case records, Elon Musk now questioning testing in this country. And NBC News projects the president-elect Biden flips Arizona for the first time since 1996. And that's where we will begin this morning as the president continues his legal challenges today. President-elect Biden winning the state of Arizona. That's according to NBC News decision desk overnight, further cementing his victory in last week's election. Biden now holds 290 electoral votes to Trump's 217. Georgia and North Carolina are the ones that are still too close to call, Jim. But if you put those two together, uh, even flipping those for the president would not be enough. Yeah, look, Carl, this matters tremendously. Uh, I think there was a lot of uncertainty sowed in the last four days that perhaps the president just wouldn't leave the White House, uh, that the legal challenges would go on forever, that December 13th would come, December 14th is the last day, and there would be no uh, concession about the Electoral College. And this kind of makes it so that it, it, it's less likely, plus the attack on Fox, believe it or not, made people realize maybe there's a, a second life, uh, uh, maybe there's uh, a station that will be owned by or uh, run by Trump. Uh, so what's happening is, is if you take that off the table and you deal with the fact that we have a big caseload, but at the same time we have vaccine. And don't forget, J&J is going to be heard from soon. I think they have a billion ready because they've been working side by side with, with another company that makes it. So I think that we've got a situation where maybe there's a little more certainty. The idea that the president would, would vacate the White House is going to make it so that we feel uh, that there won't be something that's such a wild card that we can't even bear to think about. Right. Now, all that said, uh, Navarro was on uh, Fox Business this morning and said uh, we're moving forward here at the White House under the assumption that there will be a second Trump term. I assume uh, at this point, is that just trolling? What is that? I've always enjoyed Peter Navarro. (laughs) All right. That that says enough, I guess, Jim. So no need. My mom always said no need to say anything negative. (laughs) Yep. So, so the worries that you had earlier in the week about potential uh, black swan, uh, dark scenarios regarding transition are, are ameliorated in your mind this morning. Yeah, well, you, what happens is there's an apparatus and the apparatus, including the uh, Homeland Security, have spoken. And the apparatus says, OK, listen, you want to send in the FBI? We're going to send in the National Guard. You want to send in agents from the, from a dark place? Well, we're going to send in the state troopers. I mean, it, it just happens that there is a security apparatus that has spoken up. And I think that took the black swan off the table and then gave the president. He started to think of some pretty interesting things to do. I encourage him. I like him in the debate, yeah. thinking about <laughs> challenging uh, 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 Biden four years from now. That'll be that'll, that'll be good. But the idea of vacating right, the White House right. is becoming increasingly uh, on the table. On the table. 
So, Jim, why I heard you talking to Andrew uh, uh, before the uh, top of the hour about how the market is handling this surge much better than obviously it did in the spring, uh, almost fighting uh, the news of the records that we get every day. And I wonder if you think that's about therapeutics, vaccine hopes, because uh, it does appear now, according to m many reports, that uh, the White House has been sidelined from negotiations. It's now McConnell Pelosi versus Mnuchin Pelosi. And that um, likelihood of a bill before January is slim. Yeah, I don't think the I, I don't expect a bill. I, look, I, I I'm one of those people who thinks that if a virus doubles uh, in 10 days, as this one did from 74 to 140, then you're you could argue that we're all going to get it. Uh, there's just it's just happening too fast. Uh, and, and so what you're dealing is we got to we have to have a and j come out and say, listen, we are going to have a billion and we're going to have them in two months. And so you just stay the course. That's how the market acts. The market acts that they've got a wild card that we haven't seen the wild card yet. We'll have we'll have Moderna. But J&J is the wild card. And I think very strongly that that is going to make it so that uh, people say, yeah, we'll get through this. I had Ford on last night. Ford thinks we'll get through it. Uh, Disney, they were uh, castigated California state government saying, listen, we have the ability to be able to make this safe. Cisco, hey, we've got uh, COVID, but you know what? We're going to tr triumph over COVID. So I, I do think that unless... It there are hospitals that are overrun. There's a belief that we can get to the promised land because the companies themselves, all that we've had, the major ones, all seem to know how to deal with it. I mean, it is impressive, Carl. I mean, I asked, I asked Jim Farley yesterday yep. where the assembly lines are going to close. Now, the assembly lines closed in the spring. He's quite confident that the assembly lines aren't going to close this time, even though there's far more COVID. How do you explain that? Well, I think it's because they see it coming and they're making plans. Yeah, that's uh, and that goes for food supply and grocers and all of the things that we worried about in the spring uh, as well, Jim, as uh, as the likes of ConAgra have told you on Mad and the recent weeks. So I'm glad you brought up Disney because investors may wonder, are, is this a stay at home name with Disney Plus or is this an epicenter name with Disney World? Well, we'll find that out. And they've got that uh, December 10 investor meeting. But I think that everyone felt pretty good after this because. Uh, there are some oddities that people didn't realize. Uh, what holds the key? How about Disney Plus Hotstar? That's uh, in India, uh, going Indonesia. I think that what, are, what people are, are trying to figure out is, you know what, it's not just a Verizon come one with 10% of the people coming from Verizon. This Disney brand resonates more than Netflix, and I think the analysts are all kind of caught flat-footed. At the same time, they didn't expect that the theme parks would be doing as well in an era of COVID. Disney Plus is still losing a lot of money, but we'll see through that because Disney has tons of money. Uh, and they're also making a lot of movies. So you, you came away from the Disney call saying, whew, that, that, that's another bullet dodge. I had Cisco. You know, I had Cisco. We had two Cisco's. There's the SYY Cisco, and then there's the CSCO Cisco. Mm -hmm. SYY is the largest food distributor in the country. You know what? They are now projecting that there will be far fewer restaurants going out of business than we thought. Now, that's different from the Cheesecake Factory recommendation that we got today, saying that there will be 40% of uh, uh, stores that will be closed. But I've got to tell you, there is a path, Carl. There's a path through COVID to the vaccine, and the stock market wants to go through that path. Uh, to your point, Jim, uh, in the interim, uh, the Disney Plus numbers were amazing. Seventy three point oh. seven million paid subs. Uh, we were looking for sixty five five. And by the way, you see, we'll talk to Chuck Robbins of Cisco, the other one uh, later this hour. Uh, here's what Bob Chapek said about those sub numbers. The growth of Disney Plus speaks volumes about the strength of our IP, our unparalleled brands and franchises and our amazing content creators all part of the Disney difference that sets us apart 
from everyone else. And when you look across our full suite of streaming services, we have exceeded 120 million paid subscriptions worldwide. Jim, I'll tell you, uh, aside from the numbers themselves, what struck me was his comment about Mulan and the premium sub strategy saying we've got something here which has all kinds of implications for Disney's relationships with exhibitors and and the content pipeline itself. I think it's, it's jump ball. I think even Disney's trying to figure out what to do. I mean, just was a little one. Hulu, 4.1 million Hulu Live subs that people are paying a lot of money for. The streams of revenue here, whether it be uh, sports, uh, whether it be live, whether it be a move on, whether it be uh, uh, anything that they have in their pipe, and they have tons in the pipe, tell me that people are dramatically underestimating how many subs they'll have. 2022, as just as Bob Iger said, when he did this, 20, 2022 would be the year where maybe they could break even. Remember, he was saying 2024 is the year they're going to break out and make a fortune. I think you have to accelerate that time uh, timetable. I think that 2023 is going to be the year they make a fortune. The reason I say that is because they're growing at a rate that no one thought they could grow. I mean, it's impossible they have 250 million homes. It wouldn't shock me whatsoever. This is the way people thought they couldn't find them. That's wrong because the, the IP is as strong, maybe stronger even than they knew. I mean, one of the things that you go back and forth with Bob Iger and you realize that maybe we're all underestimating the universality of Disney, uh, especially at a time when things are pretty lousy around the world. Right, right. Now, on the last point on Disney, Jim, uh, we talked about uh, Disneyland and the ongoing battle that the company has with the state of California, which, by the way, has now crossed a million COVID cases. Chapek addressed that as well. Quick listen. People have shown a willingness to visit our parks, which I believe is a testament to the fact that they feel confident in the measures we've taken. And we are very encouraged by the positive news earlier this week on the progress of potential vaccines. Unfortunately, we're extremely disappointed that the state of California continues to keep Disneyland closed, despite our proven track record. Our health and safety protocols are all science-based and have the support of labor unions representing 99% of our hourly cast members. So, Jim, if this doesn't turn, what does that mean? Well, it's just that it's a flagship, and uh, everybody who's been there knows that it's just an important icon. Uh, But it's it's small enough that it won't necessarily hurt the numbers, but it does give you less confidence. Uh, I think California's panicking. Uh, there was a that was a, a, a shot across the bow. I mean, I thought that was amazing. Basically, saying California just does not have control over their situation. So please don't bring that upon us. Uh, I think Disney is probably the most forward-looking about these. Uh, I, the next thing I think they'll be able to do is some sort of rapid test. A lot of companies, a lot of companies are going to a rapid test where you be able to get something right there. And I think that will be next for Disney. They'll, they'll be pioneers. They talk to everybody. They talk to Nabbit Labs. They talk to uh, anybody who does testing. They are in the face of saying, what should we do? So it's not just going to be vaccine. That'll be another upside su- surprise, I believe, when they get together December 10. People are going to be, want to stay long that stock into the December 10 investor uh, day because I really think that what will happen is people realize, boy, are they liquid. They're in it for the long term. And this thing does not belong at 140. It belongs much higher. Uh, so I, I think that this is just a terrific situation. Yeah. You, you, when you mentioned testing, Jim, are you unnerved at all by Elon Musk's tweets seeming to question the quality of testing in this country? Well, I, not uh, PCRs is, uh, you know, I, I think PCRs really, really strong. 
Um, the, the antigen tests, I do not trust. I just don't trust them. Uh, so I, I agree right. with him. Antigen is really uh, very erratic, and I think that we should not feel, take any confidence in antigen tests. I know that the people who produce those will hate what I just said. I'm sorry. Antigen tests, no. PCR tests, yes. Remember, take a look at the number of people in the NFL. Remember, NFL was just team after team after team. Now you'll get one, maybe two. The NFL tests PCR seven days a week. Initially, they did three days, then they went five. Now they do seven. PCR uh, is a method that had, no one has disputed. But Elon's right on the antigen. You, you can have wildly, wildly erratic numbers. So I think he's, once again, he's yeah. right. He's no longer erratic. Antigen's erratic, not well, Elon Musk. Well, well, Jim, I mean, I mean, we may love Elon Musk and we talk about him a lot, but this is the same man who back in March said that uh, cases would go to zero by April, uh, which people have not forgotten. No, he has not been, uh, I'd say he's been much more with uh, President Trump on that. Uh, he's been wrong. He didn't, you know, he was a ventilator, it's not a big issue. I mean, he really thought this thing was going to run out. I'm, I'm loath to uh, criticize him, if only just because he's right on a lot of other things. He got this one wrong. Uh, I think he's going to be wrong on hydrogen. I think hydrogen's going to be very big. I think he's making a mistake that it has to be electric. At the same time, we cannot avoid the, what's happening with NEO. We can't do that. We have With Fisker, the, 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 any one of these uh, electric is just going insane. Remember, Nikola is hydrogen. I, I think hydrogen is a great fuel because it, it's green hydrogen is very, very expensive, but very good. But I think that Elon is going to be wrong by just focusing on electric. Uh, right. That uh, the antigen is uh, way overstated as a good way to do things. Boy, will sure. they hate me that I said that, Carl. Yeah. They will hate me. I don't <laughs> care. I'm kind of like well, I'm again, Sam Gerard. You know, I didn't kill my wife. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. Um, <laughs> Well, I'll tell you one thing, Jim. You mentioned the NFL. It's nice to see that uh, the halftime show of the Super Bowl is now booked with the weekend. That's good news for Pepsi and good news for all of us uh, with with that game just a couple of months away. We'll take a break here. There is a ton to get to today, including Cisco. As Jim said, we'll talk to Chuck Robbins later on this hour. There's Palantir. uh, There's DoorDash uh, and a lot more as we uh, try to rebound from yesterday's losses. Don't go. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Anywhere. Big news out of DoorDash as it looks to go public. Let's get to Leslie Picker. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Carl, that's right. They flipped their S1 to be public this morning, showing some pretty impressive top-line growth. Revenue more than tripling year-to-date from $587 million in 2019 to $1.9 billion year-to-date in 2020. Now, it's important to note that they did acquire Caviar at the end of 2019, but it's there's no denying that this company certainly benefited from the uptick in deliveries uh, during the pandemic. Their net losses narrowed by about 72% during that time. Uh, to $149 million and even posted profits uh, in the second quarter of this year, but then turned back to net losses in the third quarter of this year. Uh, now, how do they make money? A lot of people have this question. They, they do generate the substantial majority of their revenue from 
fees paid by customers and commissions charged to uh, their merchants for orders completed through their marketplace. They actually give an example in the S1 where a consumer pays, say, a uh, $32.90 bill. DoorDash keeps about $4.90 of that, while the merchant keeps $20, a little over $20, and the dasher, uh, the delivery man or woman, keeps $7.90 of that. Uh, In terms of market share, they've been very competitive here. They they say that they now have about 50%, followed by Uber Eats and Grubhub, um, which is impressive considering they only uh, last year surpassed uh, their competitors to have the highest market share in the delivery market in the U.S. Now, in terms of risk factors, they're pretty standard here. Ability to grow and compete, avoid interruptions in services, manage their costs related to their dashers. Uh, and another impressive number here was their Dash Pass. Uh, they talked about 5 million consumers on Dash Pass. This is the flat monthly delivery fee of $9.99. Uh, so a lot of people are analogizing that to like an Amazon Prime, guys. Leslie, first of all, it's great to see you in the show. I usually sit, I get to watch at 10. Nice that you're in ours. <laughs> <laughs> Good to see you, Jim. Yep. Uh, Tony Sue, <laughs> the uh, XU, the, the CEO, is a remarkable man. Great story. Uh, just uh, yesterday uh, it showed me that they're redoubling their commitment to empower local communities, National Urban League. I really love what they're doing, 200 million. But uh, let me ask you, uh, I saw that when... They talked about on the on the uh, on the call involving Uber when they said that they are going to go all in food. It struck me as being something as, as a restaurateur that people realize how hard it is. But now I realize we're, we're talking about a duopoly and that's going to be great for business. This company could have unbelievable numbers, even though restaurant restaurants might decline by 40 percent. So, I mean, what kind of factors are they saying in terms of the number of restaurants that might close because of COVID? Uh, You know, I'm still reading through the document. I haven't seen any specific numbers or projections that they have as it relates to restaurants that might close uh, for COVID. But what's fascinating about this model is we're starting to see all of these virtual restaurants pop up where they don't even need a brick and mortar store. They just need a kitchen, a a menu and the ability for someone to deliver that food to consumers. That's been really, really popular. And that's something where a DoorDash or, or an Uber Eats, you know, wouldn't suffer in that kind of environment because they can still have their uh, infrastructure, their technology supports some of those initiatives. Uh, it's absolutely great, great to point out. I mean, some of us are stuck with rent. That's the problem. <laughs> we got, <laughs> some we of got these are. called landlords. <laughs> but thank you for being on the show. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, yeah, Jim. It's a great point, Jim. And on a week where on a week where Chipotle opened their for their first digital only restaurant, Leslie, really quick on the big names behind it: uh, SoftBank, Sequoia, yep. and some others. That's that's exactly correct. SoftBank and Sequoia both mentioned uh, as principal investors in this company. Uh, And interestingly, they'll have three classes of stock, uh, something that we've become accustomed to with a lot of these founder led companies. Class A has one vote. B has 20 votes. C has no votes. Uh, With this first filing, we don't really get a sense of exactly uh, who owns what and how much they are planning to uh, own after the offering. Uh, But that will come in additional filings later on down the road. Uh, Leslie, thanks. It's a it's a big thing, and we've been waiting for it for a while, Jim. Along with Airbnb, it's the next few weeks uh, could be interesting, don't you think? And you know these guys pretty well. Oh, those guys should be look. I, we were caviar people from day one, uh, and that was <laughs> Sarah Fryer. I mean, you look when you're, you you have to have delivery. You can't make a living. Uh, when they bought caviar, I was very afraid that they would jack the rates up. In fact, what Tony did was cut them 
because he knew all the restaurants were suffering. So, I mean, look, I'm not, before he was, it wasn't public, but he, he's cared. And, and we all know how bad the restaurants are doing. So he, he made a real pledge to us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jim, we'll talk more about that in a few moments. In the meantime, as we said earlier, Cisco is the biggest S&P gainer in the pre-market, uh, along with Disney there. You can see uh, some of the uh, pre-market movers under the upside. We'll talk with uh, Chairman and CEO Chuck Robbins shortly after the opening bell, which is coming up in about nine minutes. Don't go away. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Time for a mad dash on this Friday. Jim's watching Salesforce. Yes, yesterday, Keith Weissett, uh, Morgan Stanley, went from buy to hold. I said it was heresy. Uh, Salesforce, especially after that last quarter. So today, dueling Salesforce, RBC ups its price target, 275 to 285, says things are strong. Remember, yesterday I felt it was more of a valuation call for all of this group, although they did say good things about service. Now, uh, this piece basically says that Salesforce is doing incredibly well. Let's watch Salesforce as a tail of the tape to see whether this market can rally uh, after what was yesterday, a very dismal day, except for the last half hour, where the market was very strong. Let's see if it, the last half hour continues or we revert to what was most of the day. Salesforce will tell us. Interesting. Uh, you know, Jim, you mentioned RBC, which reminds me of another call they make today on Disney. They go to 170. That's a street high on Disney. Uh, the title of the report is You Ain't Never Had a Recovery Play Like Me. A uh, bit of a reference there to Aladdin. And they say that near-term results are going to be noisy. But, you know, it kind of reminds me of what Goldman said yesterday about uh, consumption, pent-up savings, uh, all of these things that they believe will be unleashed in the middle of next year. I mean, they're talking uh, GDP of maybe seven in Q2. Right, well, look, I mean, this really did uh, create a lot of creativity on the part of analysts. Uh, Morgan Stanley says that number was the appetizer. Of course, that's referring to the analyst meeting. You mentioned the recovery play like me. My favorite was Disney. It's a streaming world after all, which was uh, from Barclays. How clever have they become? Holy cow. I, I do think that, w- <laughs> that what's going on here is, is their belief that we'll get the vaccine. People will be uh, clamoring to go to Disney. And the Disney cruises, by the way, came up as something that uh, they are talking about the hurdles that you have to go through in order to make a cruise be safe, uh, that they're ripe for being vaccines. you got to have vaccines for the cruises. You really do. So I think that this is one of the situations where people are going to say it's, uh, next year at this time, it's going to be incredible. The comparisons are going to be really easy by Disney. I reiterate that this is a smart call and that the company is uh, both financially sound, even though they did not do that next dividend. And it's got a great growth path for 2021, 2022. Right. Uh, Disney, between uh, Disney 
and I think one other name this morning, I'll, uh, if I can find it here. Disney and Cisco will add about 55 points uh, to the Dow, uh, judging from the pre-market. There's the opening bell and some pretty good breath. Uh, Jim, really quick before we get to a couple individual names, Goldman also sort of laid out the phases in which they think a vaccine will come to Americans next year. Phase one, first responders. Phase two, teachers and people with comorbidities. Then you get into phase three, kids. And finally, they said phase four, which is probably going to be folks like you and me uh, who don't fall into those specific categories. But I, 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 I think mean, they're we're starting to see this fall into a, a, a four. You think they're guessing? Yeah, I think they're guessing. Uh, the public health authorities I, I've been talking to are saying, listen, the group that we really have to stop is the super spreaders. That would be the kids who come back from Thanksgiving. Uh, and uh, and then we we do people we have to in protected classes. But that uh, you do not go with, uh, first responders, of course, but that it's the kids. Uh, if we can nip nip them, that's just that's just causing these these incredible spikes. Uh, so I, I think that it's all up in the air, in, in part because we have many different people who speak for our public health in our country. And, and that's causing sowing great confusion. That's why I keep saying, listen, it's got to be, you know, if J&J delivers like I think, then we might be able to make it so that it's a polio vaccine where everybody gets it and everybody gets it in a very short period of time. Those of us who got the polio vaccine and the polio sugar cube, and I know we're a bigger country now, uh, twice the number of people, but we all remember it was mandatory. You had to go to the high school. You got it, period. And if we have show some uh, gumption like that in this country, then we'll, we'll get past this. I don't know whether we have the, uh, the willpower in Washington to do what we did for polio, but that's what has to happen. Yeah. Uh, you remind me of what Bullard said this morning, and that is uh, that he, he believes that this new spread, household level spread, requires what he called a new education initiative to change behavior, something that maybe you are you could argue we should have already had. Um, meantime, uh, Jim, Ron Klain, chief of staff to right. the president elect, uh, says that uh, the president elect will have a covid advisor who works in the White House uh, with direct access to him and who will brief him daily. So maybe the communication you're talking about uh, manages to come. Yeah, look, I, I, claims a season hand. Uh, anyone who's I mean, I met clean years ago and uh, you, you, you're talking about a totally different White House. You're talking about White House uh, or look, some people say it's the swamp filled White House for all the whatever. But uh, they're taking this thing at a level. Remember, the, the president elect uh, is so mask oriented. Why? Because he knows how pathetic our defenses are against this disease. It's masks, it's social distancing. But if you get together and you're screaming at a bar uh, and one person has it, all get it. I mean, that's what we what we realize. It's not the, the hand washing, sure, but it's viral load. People don't talk about it. It's really professors of aerosol, of which there are only two that really understand aerosol. It's about aerosol buildup. And I think that the people in the White House will recognize what's really causing the problems. Uh, does it mean that restaurants and bars have to close? Sadly, yes. Done. You want to stop this thing? That's who has yeah. to close. I don't want to lock down the country. You just want Jim's, to lock down the places where people get it. Right. Right. Uh, well, I think even even uh, Dr. Fauci yesterday said that it might not be necessary, obviously. Yeah. Um, Cisco's leading the whole S&P. Uh, you're going back to levels here, back to Labor Day. I see Piper goes to 45. Uh, RBC goes to 49. And we'll talk to Chuck in a minute. Oh, look, that was just a, a very big surprise. Uh, there were analysts were incredulous. Many of them didn't understand how that could happen so quickly. Uh, Chuck uh, Robbins, who is forthcoming about everything in his life, uh, including the fact that he's a Falcon fan, which is really too bad, uh, explained, walked through everything uh, to the point where people started realizing, oh, this is what Chuck promised. So 
there were some disingenuous analysts who were ready to pounce, and they got nothing to pounce on. They got nothing. You know, probably a good time to go to Chuck. Yeah. All right. Uh, shares of Cisco are rallying, as we just mentioned. Uh, it was a definitive earnings beat. Uh, it was also, I think, more important, a, a very, very good outlook. So why don't we bring in Chuck Robbins right now? Uh, Chuck is chairman and CEO of Cisco. Hey, Chuck, it's always good to see you. Well, Jim, Carl, thanks for having me, and uh, it's great to see you all. all right, well, so, to talk to you anyway. Right. Well, Chuck, there was a moment in the call where uh, I, we were talking earlier about uh, how companies are getting through COVID. And you said customers have come to grips with the fact that this thing is going to be with us for some period of time. And oddly, because of what you have, Chuck, that's actually good for sales for you. Well, Jim, you know, first off, I want to just uh, thank all of our employees for all their hard work and, and uh, their commitment to our customers during the last six to nine months. And I think what we saw was exactly what we thought we saw in the summer, which was, you know, early on, our customers spent a great deal of effort and time just getting their employees productive and working from home. And then they went into a bit of a pause, which was our last quarter, where they reprioritized what they were going to be spending their money on. And then I think they came to the conclusion that, hey, this thing's going to be with us. It's going to end sometime, but we don't know when, and we can't just sit on our hands, so we have to start moving. And we saw some customers begin to do that. And, uh, you know, it was, we, we saw improvement. It's not where we want to be, but we certainly saw improvement. And I'll tell you that the consistency we saw in the quarter from the beginning to the end is what gave us the confidence to, uh, to have a bit of a different tone on the call yesterday. Well, I think the tone, and, and by the way, I want to wish Kel- Kelly Kramer the best. She's a terrific CFO. Moving on, uh, there were some things that you said about large transactions showing up in the funnel, a robust pipeline, high teens growth in Europe, federal spending. It, it, even service provider was not horrible, Chuck. It did seem like that this is the quarter where it came together, and you did say that, that it would be next year. You said that it would be enterprise 5G. Have you pulled forward because of COVID? Well, I think what we saw, Jim, is uh, we saw across the business, we saw our commercial business improve, which was the big thing. The last two quarters had been in a mid-20s negative, and that's the small, medium businesses, mid-sized enterprises that we know have been most affected by COVID. We saw that business improve. It went from negative 23 last quarter to negative 8, and in the U.S. it improved even more, which is the lion's share of that business. Uh, you know, enterprises is, is very big deal driven, so it was down a bit, but I think it'll bounce back. Uh, service provider. If you look in the U.S., it was uh, roughly flat, and a big contributor to that was the web scale players. And you know, we we spent the last five years working hard to reestablish ourselves there, and I think we're beginning to see the fruits of that. And the service provider business in Europe was up high teens, uh, and that was all driven by the web scale uh, players as well. And then public sector was strong around the world. So it's, uh, you know, it was it was a, it was mixed, but there were a lot of green shoots, I would say. OK, one of the things that uh, kind of mystifies me, uh, you talked about high def value uh, video needed in every conference room. Obviously, WebEx, very secure. Uh, but there's another outfit, Zoom video run by, I know, a colleague, because I think that you will always you play fair, run by Eric Yuan. Their valuation is $119 billion. They do business to consumer and they do business to business. How are you going to be able to blunt Zoom video from taking your clients? Well, Jim, a couple of things. Number one, I think the, the overall market has certainly expanded and, and WebEx has done a great job. Our team's done a great job of scaling. We talked about $600 million 
meeting attendees in the in the last month versus you know almost double what we saw in March. So, and in Asia, what we're seeing right now, even as they return to office, the actual usage of the platform is still increasing. And I think you know get, if we get back to security, privacy, and enterprise grade platforms, you know you've got governments around the world that are running on WebEx with WebEx Legislate. And G2 Patel, who we hired, he's a, he was the product officer of Box, who has now come over. He has redefined the strategy for the platform. They're, the feature velocity is very impressive right now. And I think the other thing you reference is when our customers begin to go back to the office, they are going to put high-def video in every conference room because every meeting is going to be hybrid. And we haven't seen that yet. And when you start looking at high-definition video in conference rooms, we are the leader, tightly integrated with WebEx, and we think that will continue to create a tailwind for that business. Wow, that's, that's fascinating, Chuck. Um, I wonder, you know, I had to go back a, a, a while ago. It was uh, last August of 19 that you joined us, and we were talking about China at the time. And you said uh, in China, where they have optionality, they're favoring local vendors. We don't know if that's a short-term thing or a long-term thing. Do we have an answer to that question a year later? Well, I think, Carl, it's, uh, you know, China is uh, an interesting situation right now. It is uh, certainly caught up in the geopolitics. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, to some extent, uh, a new administration will see the different tone. I think we'll still, you know, I'm sure that they'll still be tough, but I think they will actually try to have conversations and find a way forward where both countries can actually operate in a way that is, is right for both countries. And, uh, you know, I was invited to speak, actually, at the China Development Forum just two days ago. So that was a good sign. And, you know, we continue to be committed. We've been there 30 years. We're, we're staying tough, and uh, we're going to try to ride this thing out. Okay. So, Chuck, I, there's some things that I, I, I'm trying to catch up on. You've made some acquisitions, and I want to see whether they're bringing uh, anything to fruit. For instance, the Broadsoft acquisition. Where is that? I don't hear much about the thousand eyes. These were really interesting when they happened, but mind melt. But I don't hear you talk about them. What have they done competitively for you? Well, a lot of them are, are actually like mind mills being integrated into our collaboration portfolio. So you don't see it as a product. You'll see it as a capability within the platforms. If you look at Thousand Eyes, it is an incredible network monitoring platform that's being integrated with App Dynamics. You remember that acquisition and a platform we have called Intersight, so that we can actually provide full stack observability for these new cloud-based applications that are running in a very distributed fashion. And so uh, all those assets are being utilized, they're being integrated, and we're really pleased with uh, you know the, the value that they're providing to our customers right now. Why don't you talk about them then on the call? Well, we talked about Thousand Eyes yesterday, and yeah, you know, but, you these know, are I mean, not the, massive the from a revenue perspective. Chuck, the differential between you and everybody else is made by these acquisitions, and it's really terrific. Not that I'm like sitting here saying, listen, Meraki's the greatest, but you know what I mean. Like, when you put them all together, you, you, it made it so that you have the competitive offering versus others. And I often feel that on the call, it's, it, it's commodity versus commodity. But the acquisitions have made it so it's not commodity <laughs> versus commodity. Am I right? Well, let me, let me give you an example. Jim, we bought, we bought a company called Babel Labs just a month or two ago, and it's already been deployed in the WebEx platform. And what does it do? It actually takes care of one of the biggest issues that we have in this, this world we're living in right now, which is the vacuum cleaner, the, the, you know, the, the lawn blower, the, uh, the dog barking. It actually takes all that background noise out of the meeting session so that you know, this whole notion of can you go on mute, please? Can you go on mute, please? 
So a lot of these acquisitions are actually doing incredibly strategic things within platforms that we already sell, and we're really we're really pleased with uh, how, how that's being integrated and what it's doing for the rest of our portfolio. Yeah, okay, so can you do, for instance, the DocuSign deal with Zoom I thought was great. Can you do something that makes it so that, uh, speaking of Babel, that language, whatever language I speak, is, is, is immediately translated in Russian, immediately translated in German? Because these are the things that I think I want in the new world where we're not traveling, Chuck. We're not, I mean, maybe we all realize, and you can speak to this, right. maybe we all realize that it isn't so great to travel all the time. And I think you have a superior proposition. If you could make it so that we are translated right on and can close deals right on, Chuck, we're not going anywhere. And we're going to save companies a fortune. Well, stay tuned. All of that technology is coming. We have a big event in December called WebEx One. And you're going to hear a lot about the innovation that we're going to bring forward in that platform. And there's a lot of what you just described that I think will be coming, I know will be coming on our platform and giving you the ability today to do real-time transcription of meetings, to have assistance in meetings that are taking action items, and then doing that language translation real-time in, in the very near future. I mean, these are capabilities that pre-pandemic weren't as important, but today we know as we look to post-pandemic, we're going to work, we're going to be in a hybrid work world, and every meeting we have is going to have a remote attendee. And so we need to provide these capabilities. The teams are working really hard. I'm proud of what they've done. The, the feature velocity, again, is at a pace that we haven't, we've never seen. And uh, you're going to see a lot of those capabilities show up in the platform. I'm going to get the, rid of the dog barking. It, does, it makes it so it's so amateurish. One last question under, under uh, the uh, outgoing president. Uh, it was always pretty punitive if you decided, you know what, I'm going to put a factory somewhere else or build a plant somewhere else. This high teens growth in Europe says to me, maybe you need to throw some more people in Europe, maybe even build a, a headquarters for Europe that's important. I know you already have something over there. Uh, under a Biden regime, would you be uh, less reluctant to be able to commit resources overseas if you think it could help your, your bottom line? Well, Jim, let me clarify that the, the teens in Europe was in the service provider space. I just want to be clear. But, okay. um, you know, the, 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 our overall supply chain is distributed across you know, 14 countries today. And we, we optimize it to distribute our products to, to countries around the world. And we're, we're going to continue to do that. So, uh, you know, there are, there are lots of policy changes that could occur that would make it more attractive for companies to manufacture more in the uh, U.S., uh, but today we, we do we do manufacture around the world. Our supply chain is massively distributed and uh, that's in order to, you know, we have to deal with risk. We have to deal with tax. We have to deal with product delivery and on time delivery. And all of those things come into how we design our supply chain. Well, it, it, the supply chain was I thought a lot of people were betting against you on that. Obviously, you delivered and you deliver on the quarter. Uh, Chuck Robbins, CEO of Cisco. Thank you so much, Chuck, for coming on Squawk on the Street. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Carl. All right. Good to see you, Carl. Back to you. All right, Jim. Good stuff. Uh, watching rates, of course, today as we get headlines from the likes of Bullard. Let's get to Rick Santelli. Hey, Rick. Hi, Carl. You know, as we sit right now at 89 basis points for a 10-year note yield, we are now up one on the day, up seven on the week. And as you look at a two-day, you can see that the big feature was obviously we were trading lower yields, higher prices than yesterday, but it's starting to reverse a bit. Maybe part of that was the headline PPI this morning. It was a bit hotter than expected at 0.3. 
But it's more than that. It's just this generalized notion that at some point uh, with vaccines and uh, therapeutics out there, it's just a matter of when and we know that we're going to have a tough time before we get there. But markets are always thinking ahead. Now, look at a month to date of tens. This is fascinating as well, of course, because we continue to see that the month is shaped up to be virtually unchanged. We're about at the same place we ended last month as we are right now, maybe a basis point or two higher. So this is actually a key area as we once again look like we want to regain the 90 basis point handle. 1% is a big psychological area. Tens minus twos, we talk about the yield curve all the time, and definitely it did a beeline from close to 80 down to under 70. Now it's at 71 basis points, but when you put it against the KBW banking index, you can really see why many pay so much attention to it as you see on this one-month chart. The correlations are very strong. And finally, foreign exchange. We know that the Chinese currency, uh, day in, day out, week in, week out, is doing better against the yen, doing better against the euro, doing better against the dollar. But the dollar's having a pretty good week, all in all. It's having one of the rare weeks where it's up on the week, it's up a bit on the day. And should we be able to get a close the eventually that's above 93 and a half many technicians would turn a chart and make it a bit more bullish with regard to their outlook carl jim back to you and have a safe and happy weekend all right same to you rick thank you uh, in the meantime take your uh, keep your eyes on shares of DraftKings. about a three-week high today as they uh, have uh, better than expected results and a raise on their revenue guidance we'll talk about sports and betting with the ceo later on this morning stay with us some new developments regarding what would have been the world's biggest IPO. According to the journal today, Chinese President Xi personally made the decision to halt Ant Group's $34.5 billion IPO after controlling shareholder Jack Ma angered government leaders by slamming tighter regulation in that speech he delivered last month, just days before Ant was set to go public in China. Uh, Jim, it's a harrowing piece and a harrowing uh, notion that uh, this could be moved in quite this way. Yeah, people have to read this. I mean, the speech that he gave was viewed as seditious. Uh, I use that word rather than say treasonous, uh, because I, I, I think that you, you could say that this was dissent, and China tolerates no dissent. This was one where you, you said to yourself, holy cow, the communists don't want really, really rich people. And they're not about to have rich people upend what they're doing. It was, uh, what an eye-opener, because this was a man I thought was the pride of China. And now he's the scourge of China. And I think he has to be careful. Uh, I mean, has to be careful. That's what the essence of that, of that article was. The Chinese are not going to tolerate right. anyone who's that wealthy who speaks out. Uh, although, uh, Jim, the amount of wealth created by him and... Uh, the, the prosperity he brought to so many Chinese. I mean, how long do you think China can sort of look that dark horse in the mouth? Well, that was the thing. I mean, one of the reasons why I thought that he was the uh, uh, loved by the government is because he's created more wealth than, than anyone in the world. And I think that to to really attack him, which is what I thought they were they were definitely doing, what she's doing, is to say, you know what, we don't care about wealth. What we care about is domination. And don't you dare cross us no matter what you do. And uh, it was frightening. It was a reminder that they are, and I'll give Peter Navarro this, that they are a communist country that does not tolerate any dissent whatsoever. Yeah, uh, and one reason why a lot of people on the street don't expect 
uh, big changes in the way we approach China uh, yeah. uh, as we uh, change, uh, change administrations. Dow's hanging on to 29.3. Uh, squawk on the streets back in a moment. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. Here's something, Carl, we haven't seen in ages. Price target boost General Electric by Barclays. Uh, price target raised 22%. Talking about gas power turbines, uh, and uh, that would be turbine anywhere else other than GE. And I do think that this is a very positive piece, a vindication of what Larry Culp is doing. Uh, I think this piece is right. I think the stock's going to 11. I had Ford on last night, another one. This, this is, it's a foot race. And I'll take, I'll take Ford to 11. You can have GE, and we'll see you there. Wow. Uh, this was six about a month ago. Uh, yeah. 11 would be uh, quite a gain if Col- we get there, Jim. Culp's the real deal. He really is. I mean, I wish he didn't work 23 hours a day. If there were days that had 25 hours, he would work 24. That's how hard he's working, and he's succeeding. And uh, I really believe in the company. It's doing a lot of right things. Tonight, Carl, uh, well, speaking I've of, got yeah. Bill. Say, speaking of working 24-7. Uh, I got Bill.com, <laughs> and then I got one that's roll-up, I'll admit it, grow generation, hydroponics in order to be able to grow pot. It is literally the tractor supply of cannabis. Who can tell? Who knows? I don't grow, I so wait. I don't know. But uh, it's legal here. No, it's, a, I, it's an amazing story. <laughs> Jim, uh, we'll see you tonight. Okay. Great weekend. You too. Thank you. All right, we'll see you later. Uh, Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.